And I was emotional, but it really didn't hit me until the following morning, Isaiah had a little eye doctor's appointment. Again, start crying, sorry, I'm trying not to cry through this. But when I got to sign his papers to say that I was his mom and write down his name was Isaiah Gallegos and not baby boy, that's when it hit me. And I remember just sobbing in the, sorry, <laughs> sobbing in the waiting room and like people were staring at me like I'm crazy. But um, that's when it really hit me that I was his mom and I was his forever mom. And, and, you know, that part of our story is over. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Kristen, TBHC's Outreach and Communications Admin. We are excited you're joining us today to hear stories of adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Today's podcast is sponsored by Imagination Learning Center. They nurture children with a positive environment, focus on creativity, education, and self-confidence, and share our faith in God. Find out more at www.imaginationcenter.com. We are grateful to Imagination for supporting today's stories. Now stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, president of TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. I'm so glad you're with us. My guest today is Mallory Gallegos. She lives in Roanoke, Texas with her five-year-old son, Isaiah. She serves in ministry with kids at Cross Timbers Church, specifically in the Hope Center. I'm excited to explore Mallory and Isaiah's story with you today. Her story is proof that God's plans for our lives are always bigger and better than we can imagine. She joins us today furthering TBHC's mission and hoping to encourage single moms to know they are not alone. Mallory, thank you so, so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, one of the things that you commented on is uh, you have been moving for quite some time, four times in your area and never left the zip code. I'm curious if there's an interesting story behind all that. You know, it's funny. I feel like um, I was a little bit of a late bloomer when it came to, came to leaving my house. Um, me and my mom started a home preschool when I was right out of high school. So I didn't move out till I was like probably 21 because, you know, why would I, I work right there? It was so easy. So when I finally was like, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going to, you know, leave the nest. I get my first apartment. Um, you know, I'm with my mom 24 seven at the time because we had the preschool and um, I was so excited to move out. I was ready. She was ready for me to get out of the house. Um, I, that first night I'm, and I'm just down the street. I just literally moved down the street to the first, the closest apartment complex, three minutes walk. And I get there and, you know, all this builds up we have the apartment all set up cute. And, um, I call my mom and she's like, yes, like she just left the house. And I just started bawling my eyes out. I was just sobbing. I was, I didn't know I would just feel that way, but it was just that weird, like, oh my gosh, I'm finally on my own. And uh, my mom's like, you're 21. You need to be on your own. Get out of the house. <laughs> All the other kids have left and I'm the oldest. So um, that's my first move. And then, you know, just, I think it's just a God thing. You know, I, because I had my home preschool where I grew up, I kind of never wanted to leave the area where these kids go to school because I have to pick them up. And that just slowly brought me to, um, you know, my, uh, I rented a house for a little bit. And then I finally ended up in this house, which, um, Again, it's another God story too, because when I moved in 2013 um, in the house I currently live in right now, which is still in the same zip code, five minutes from my mom's house, um, it had, it, it's a four bedroom house, which was way, you know, too big for a single person living by themselves. And the front bedroom um, had a really cute kid's mural because the previous owners had two little girls. And the realtor, I remember walking in said, oh, we'll ask them to paint over that. And I was like, don't you dare touch it. 
And I didn't have a reason for that, but you know, and then now, you know, seven years later, that's my, that's my foster care room. That's where I have my respite kids and my foster kids. That's their bedroom. So God has always had a plan for this house and for me. And so that's kind of my little stories of how I, I never really ran out of the 76262 zip code. That's awesome. Sounds like a really great relationship with family and obviously a God story when, I mean, you got a, a, a whole room ready to roll. Yes, absolutely. That's really cool. Well, tell us your bringing kids home story. Yes. So my story is probably a one that's a little bit different from um, the typical foster care, foster to adopt story that you might have, or um, honestly, I haven't really found anyone that's had a similar story to ours. So again, I had this house It's 2013. I really, that's when that year, my relationship with God really just um, changed completely. I always say that um, instead of just sitting in my heart, he was jumping and dancing in my heart. It's kind of the way I explained it to like little kids It just how I had a real relationship with him. And um, again, I had my home preschool, which I absolutely loved. I never in a million years thought I would do anything other than that with my mom. Um, and, you know, life's going on. I'm really involved in my church that I was going to. And I had a really good group of friends. And coming into 2015, January 1st, like New Year's Eve, um, I get a phone call. Actually, this is the day after New Year's Day. I'm with my group of friends and we are having a New Year's brunch. And I'm the single one in the group. Everybody is married. And um, at that time, they're all, you know, wanting to start a family. I'm the one that's still like, hey, I need a boyfriend. So um, I get this phone call and it's from a lady and I'm not really sure. She doesn't tell me her name or anything. She kind of just starts rattling off um, some rules to me. And she mentions that name of an estranged relative that, um, that I knew that, that was pregnant, but we, we don't have any really contact with her. Um, sadly, she has some mental illness and um, homelessness and all the things my family has tried to help her with throughout you know, her whole life has never really worked. So I knew something was up when she mentioned her name. And then she, she kind of knew I was confused and she said, I'm gonna call you right back. And she hung up the phone. And so I'm kind of, I went to the back bedroom, like, hey, what is going on? She calls me back within 90 seconds, two minutes later. And she basically says, this person has um, given us your name and signed over her baby to you. Um, do you want this baby? I need to know right now, because if not, we need to find a foster home. And, you know, that was a Saturday. It was, a, I mean, I didn't, I had to give her that answer right there. I mean, that's what she made me feel that I needed to answer her right in that second. And as scary as that was, as being a single person who has no commitments to anything I could do and go as I please. And uh, just having one second to decide if I'm going to take a, this baby or not. Um, I just remember this piece coming over me and it was like, a, I'm going to start crying. They're like a whisper of just saying like, yes. And that now looking back, it's like the Holy Spirit just telling me I have to say yes. And so I said, yes. And um, she said, okay, well, that was about 11 o'clock in the morning. She said, we'll be at your house at five. You better have this, 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 you know, crib, car seat, all the works. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I come out of the, the bedroom and all my friends are quiet in the kitchen. I remember them looking at me like, what just happened? And I was like, I think I just got a baby and silence. And then they cheered. And that group of friends have actually been probably one of my biggest cheerleader groups since this since I brought him home, but um, that's how I found out I was getting Isaiah. And then it took a few days, you know, at the hospital because he was premature and had a lot of things going on before I could actually bring him home. But that's how I got him. So I joke around and say I had a, you know, a five minute pregnancy or, you know, because I had 
I did not have time to, to prep for him or to really think about it or anything. Um, you know, usually when, obviously when you're pregnant, you have nine months or when you're choosing to adopt, you have a really long, lot, a really, really long time before you can actually bring home a baby. So it, it was a blessing and a curse, I think at the time, you know. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that just blows me away. The, the speed I, I call that urgent parenting. Yes. It's just yes. a quick turnaround. That represents probably one of the fastest stories I've ever heard, obviously. What is something that went through your mind? Was there any alarm right. bells going off that you had to quiet? Uh, was there any any concerns that you had that you think someone could relate to in that moment? Absolutely. I had several. I think I, think I was very conflicted at the time when I was saying yes to this because I remember feeling like an out-of-body experience. Everybody around me was so happy and excited for me. I felt this overwhelming guilt um, that I was going to take this baby when there's people, because at the time my best friends were struggling to have a baby and they're a married couple and great. He's a pastor. They're just a group. I love them to death. And I think at the time I, there was several of my friends in that situation. And I kept thinking, God, why me? Why are you giving me this baby when there's other people out there who really, um, you know, want, want a child and I didn't think I deserved it. You know, I deserved him. That was one of definitely the, the bells ringing in my head. And, um, and also too, I feel like at the time I was, a, I, was much a, I was very much a helper. I helped everybody. I was the one that took care of everyone's pets when they went out of town. I was in the children's ministry on Wednesday nights. I taught Sunday school. I helped the students. I helped with the women's ministry. I did the daycare. I babysat all the kids. And I needed help when I got him. Like I needed stuff. I didn't, I've never... Everyone who lets me babysit their kids or I took care of the daycare, I had instructions of what parents want me to do. There's no instruction manual when they hand you over a baby, no matter what your situation is. So that was very humbling um, of just like letting go that I'm not the person in, in control and the help that's helping everybody else. I'm the one that needs the help. Um, so that, and then just like the guilt of like having to work through that with, with the Lord, like, no, this is what his plan is for us. Um, it might not look like you know, what you thought it was going to look like, or it might not look like what everyone thinks the typical perfect family is, but, and, you know, obviously time, time has gone on. And I know that there's no other place Isaiah should be. And, you know, he's, per we're perfect for each other. Yeah. I love that. Well, well, let's, let's fast forward. Maybe, I don't know, days, weeks. So in the hospital, not doing uh, well, preemie, what, what, what happened? Tell us the continuing story. Okay. So from that moment, um, I remember um, I loved, I loved all my CPS workers. This isn't a, a thing to them, but not being in the foster care world. Um, they were very late coming to my house. Um, and that's very typical now that I know, like, you know, you never know what's going to happen, who's going to show up, but um, they were very late. So that first day I did not get to see Isaiah. Um, and that second day was when we kind of told everybody, but I was told on the phone, it wasn't supposed to go to the hospital to see him, but I got a voicemail after church on Sunday saying, basically it was a frantic nurse. Um, because during that process of time, when they got my phone number and when I was told not to go up there. Uh, that relative had had left the hospital and uh, technically had abandoned him. So um, I got to go up to the hospital that Sunday night. And if I didn't, looking back, if I'd have known everything I know now, I would have went to that hospital the second I got that phone call and I would have never left his side. And that's another guilty thing that I always have to remember that, um, you know, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know any better at the time, and, but everything all worked out. And the, the following day, I was, I was lucky enough to be able to take him home. He passed all of his little tests. He got all the tubes and everything taken out of him. 
Um, he did have, you know, several drugs in his system, but um, praise God that he never really had any major withdrawals. So I got to take him home on um, that, that following Monday. And again, I feel like it was an outer body experience. I don't really remember so much in the very first months that it just felt like, um, and I'm sure every parent feels like this, no matter how you got your baby, but you're not sleeping. You're not really sure what's going on, if it's day or night or, um, and I think na naively, I thought that my life was just going to carry on. I was just going to pack around this newborn with me. And very quickly, I found out that's not how that rolls. Um, I remember, uh, like we already had tickets to go see a movie, like, uh, and I had, terrible parenting at the time. Now I would judge parents for doing this, but just kidding. I'm not really, but I like brought him to the movie theater. He's a week old and um, held him in my little arms. And I was like, wait, I think I need to uh, slow down here. And he's not, this is not how we're going to do things. And um, so I, I took a leave of absence from my preschool, which I've never done that before. And I hired someone to come help my mom. And I really just got to be a mommy for six, six weeks, um, staying home with him for six to eight weeks. But I also remember too, not feeling like a mom in that time. Because, um, you know, we're still not really sure where the CPS situation is going on. His legal name is Baby Boy. Uh, I'm getting a lot of just like court dates thrown at me. And again, I wasn't familiar with all the, the language, the lingo and how things work. Um, so I was really um, just kind of like in shell shock. And I was really blessed enough to one of my best friends actually worked for a foster care agency, Arrow, um, Family and Child Ministries. And so she really talked to me about... Um, why foster care agencies exist versus just, you know, working straight with CPS and how they're really there to support the families. And especially being a single mom, like that's something that I really probably needed. So at that point, I sort of work in my, the process to become a foster parent um, while Isaiah was an infant and kind of going through the stages of, of getting that rolling. But I'll, I'll never forget, he was about three months old. Um, and again, I think this is when I finally snapped out of it and realized like I'm, a, I'm, I'm his mom and he's not going anywhere. Uh, it was in the middle of the night when those late night, up in the middle of the night feedings, feeding was bottled. And I had a, the TV on and it was at the time, I think it was like our old rerun of like John and Kate plus eight. I don't know if you remember that show, but the mom had, um, she had all those, those babies and she had left them for the very first time. And she was coming back in the middle of the night. Um, it was the very first time I'm not seeing her kids for like four days. And one of the little toddlers was up in the bed, had woken up and she saw her mom and she just lit up like a Christmas tree. And she was just saying, mama, mama. And you can just tell in that little baby's face that she did not think she was ever going to see her mom again. And I just remember holding Isaiah in my lap, feeding him his bottle and just thinking, oh man, I'm his mom. And just like all the emotions came and it just hit me. And then it just like, from there, then that point, I'm like, I need to do what I need to do to make sure that he stays with me um, forever. And, um, and so that's, that's when it kind of kicked into high gear of like, okay, I'm going to get licensed. I'm going to go through this motions. We're going to, we're going to do this and, and figure out what comes next in that situation. So from that point, I did get licensed in May. And when I got licensed, I started doing respite on the side, which is something that I absolutely adored and loved. And I had a big old car and I'm used to having a bunch of kids at once because of my daycare. So I remember that I got licensed like on the Thursday, that Friday, I had like uh, four little kids right away at my house the whole weekend. And I loved, I'll never forget all those little kids. I love them all. Um, I had them a lot throughout the, my journey um, doing respite. And we did that for a while. And we did the, the, the roller coaster emotions of going through the court process. And, you know, it's, it's really heartbreaking. I'm not wanting, um, it's bittersweet at being adopted mom because you're, you, you know, I love Isaiah. I want to be his mom, but at the same time, you're definitely grieving. He's, he's, you know, 
he's going through that grieving process. Even if he hasn't been with his biological mother, you know, this whole time that he's still being separated from her, you know, he's still with her while he was growing. So that, that had to hold, and it was a family member. So that whole process of, um, you know, working through that again was an emotional roller coaster. And, you know, you know how it goes, then rights get terminated. We never heard from his mom through that, the, pretty much the whole process. Um, rights got terminated and um, we had an adoption date set up for the end of the year and something happened with the, the paperwork with that. And so it got pushed back. So, you know, this, you know, you, it's like two steps forward, one step back. But um, one thing that really, another Jesus thing that was really hurt my heart was, you know, his legal name was baby boy. And um, that really just really made me sad that that is how he started out with life. And the name Isaiah wasn't ever something that I had thought, oh, here's the list of names, my future kids. It really, that was another Jesus thing that kind of just got whispered to me. And I knew that was going to be his name. I knew that almost immediately when I said, yes, I knew his name was going to be Isaiah. And, um, and later on, I found that means gift from God. So it was kind of perfect for him. But I remember that one of those last court dates, um, the CPS, you know, they were just kind of pushing for PMC. And for those that don't really know what PMC is, it's, it's more like, I guess it's more like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's more like a custody situation. Like I have legal custody over him, but at any given point, his biological mom can come back and, and fight me for custody, similar to like a divorce situation. And also I'm still not his legal parent. I just have custody over him. So one thing that I was very, you know, mild, I think mannered to everybody in this, like letting everyone do their thing. Cause I didn't really know a lot. But I know that um, right when they were kind of talking about PMC, um, my our adoption coordinator, she told me, whatever you do, don't let them do that to you. And so I kind of spoke up about like, I don't want PMC. And there, the CPS workers were like, well, we don't we might not have a choice. But right then I knew like his name is baby, his name's baby boy. Like he can't go through life with that name. If I have PMC, I can't change his name. I was like, we have to go through adoption. And that kind of set the tone like, yep, you're right. So um you know, something again that I was heartbroken about in the beginning turned out to be in our favor um, to getting to pushing this all the way through adoption. And so December, December 9th, uh, 2015, Isaiah was 11 months old and I got to adopt him. So that's kind of our little roller coaster Yeah. on how, uh, how it finally all came to be. That is so cool. And to live through something like that is not fun, but to look back and to see the moments of clarity where God's blessing and challenging us and motivating us. And I love the name, a situation being really the, the push that was necessary. That's so neat. Yes, I know that that is one of the things that are just like, wow, that, you know, looking back, you see how God really was working every single detail out for our good, even though if it doesn't feel like that. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned so many good things that I hope families who are talking about a foster care or adoption will think about because it's not easy. That's what everyone needs to know about adoption and foster care. It's just not easy. And nothing that we do that's worth doing is, in my opinion. No. I guess I'd love to hear about adoption day specifically. What was special? What was mundane? What was, my father says it like this, when we went into court, it was so legal and so professional. Yeah but I couldn't help but crying. That's how it felt to him. It's nothing like the hospital kind of thing. It's, right. it's very legal. It's very boring to some degree, yes. but it's emotional too. Tell it us is. about your experience. 
Yeah. So again, like, and I'm coming right off of like, we had an adoption date, we had adoption party, all set up, everything's ready to go. And then boom, something happened. It's not going to happen. So, um, our, and we were actually going to be adopting on adoption day, which if you know, in the foster care world, that's free adoption. Well, when that, everything got messed up, I had to come up with the money for his adoption, um, really quickly. And so I know we set up a GoFundMe and I got, and I remember thinking, wow, again, one of those moments of like, man, people are really helping me. And in a way that I never would have expected, uh, just the love that poured out for me and Isaiah for our story. But um, we got the funds within like, I think 12 hours, like half the time um, our little adoption fund got, got funded. Um, Cause that following week is when we got to go in. And um, again, like what you said, it is the very legal and it's kind of nerve wracking and you're not really sure what to expect. And it is like kind of, our judge was really stern looking too. So she kind of, you know, it, she, it wasn't real warm and fuzzy. I remember that. And then right after, I remember feeling like, wow, like, whoa, like a relief, like a weight taken off my shoulder. And I was emotional, but it really didn't hit me until the following morning, Isaiah had a little eye doctor's appointment. And I mean, literally the next morning. And I got to go in there at nine o'clock in the morning and I'm gonna again, start crying. Sorry, I'm trying not to cry through this. But when I got to sign his papers, to say that I was his mom and write down his name was Isaiah Gallegos and not baby boy. That's when it hit me. And I remember just sobbing in the, sorry, <laughs> sobbing in the waiting room and like people are staring at me like I'm crazy. But um, that's when it really hit me that I was his mom and I was his forever mom. And, and you know, that part of our story is over. So that was like an amazing. Yeah. And then when we went to the doctors, it was a, um, his little eye doctors, we went into the room they had a sign on the wall and I've never seen this in any other doctor's office, but it said, how can we pray for you today? And again, it was just like, I started sobbing again. I'm like, Jesus is here. He's with this whole, his hand has been on since the moment I got that phone call to the day after his adoption. And, and even now, even today, you know, these days, um, he's just, he's, he just loves us so much. It's unfathomable sometimes. Hi, I'm Laurie Henthorne, donor engagement manager at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. Did you know that there are over 6,000 children waiting for adoption in Texas today? And did you know that there are only about 1,000 willing foster adoptive homes licensed and available to them? These children are coming from hard places and are needing a place to heal. We at TBHC strive to provide homes where they'll feel safe and loved and where they can begin their healing process. What if you could play a part in changing these statistics? TBHC depends on people like you to help change the course of these children's lives. You could open your heart and home to them, or you could come alongside them and help provide for the parents' training or for specialized therapy for a child through your financial support. We invite you to visit our website, tbhc.org, to find out more about us, hear inspiring stories and ways to pray for TBHC families, and to find out how you can be a part of bringing kids home. He's just, he's, he just loves us so much. It's unfathomable sometimes. Yeah, he's very kind. Yes. That's really cool. All right, so let's fast forward just a little bit. We've, we've talked about the day. Uh, that is such a, a, a neat way to, to picture it all. Just your, your moment, if you will. That was really neat. But fast forwarding, there is issues that go on today, and I, I know that so many of them are very normal. Uh, that's one of the biggest questions adoptive families talk to us about is, what's normal behavior? What's adoption behavior? 
And most behavior is normal child rearing parent relationship behavior. Is there some examples you can think of that you wouldn't mind sharing of this maybe isn't normal parenting? This is adoption behavior. Do you have any experiences like that you could share? I mean, right now he's just five years old. Um, I definitely know like uh, we, we went through something called ECI, which is early childhood intervention. So if you're talking about developmentally, there's definitely been things that like he's excelled at, he's above his years. And there's definitely things that um, you can tell he's a little bit more slow processing. And that, and that could be easily from um, just the, the trauma that he's, he's experienced in his life. Cause like I said, even if he's, I've had him since, you know, he's pretty much been born, there's still trauma there. Um, but I think, I don't know if this is what you're kind of going for, but I think that something that adoption parents have to um, work work through uh, that biological parents don't is the questions about where they come from. Um, something that I never wanted Isaiah to experience was a shock that I'm adopted. And how do you, how do you go through that when you have a baby that you've had since birth um, and always have it in their minds without, you know, beating it over their heads that they're adopted. And so I know that I've always tried to answer his questions that he's had um, truthfully and honestly. And I've always told him from, I've always used that word adoption when we talk about just anything, I make sure it's in our vocabulary as much as possible. Um, and we, we talk about how we're born from our hearts. Um, that's, that's, you know, some babies are born from their, from tummies and some babies are born from their mom's hearts. And so that's how I kind of explain adoption to a, to a toddler. Um, and then I think he's starting to get to the point where actually now recently with all these, the friends I was talking about in the beginning, now they all have lots of babies. And so when he started seeing his, his people start having babies and kind of seeing that what pregnancy looks like, and then all of a sudden, Oh, they came home and now there's a baby here. So I think he started getting it more, um, understanding more when, when he started like having those life experiences. And so now he knows he's adopted. Um, he knows, I'm pretty sure he knows what it means. I feel like I feel comfortable in knowing that he knows the difference. Um, one thing that was really cool is I'm a huge Marvel fan, super, super. I love Marvel and I always have. And, uh, so I love that I have a little boy cause I like force all that on him, but, um, we are, uh, I'm also a big, um, the movies fan. That's my favorite. I read the comics, but the movies are my favorite. And Isaiah obviously was too young to kind of watch the movies, but one movie I let him watch last year on mother's day. I'm sorry. It was on father's day actually. Um, was the original, the Spider-Man, the, the Tom Holland one, the first one. And he's the, he, Isaiah is a huge Spider-Man fan. So there was a big treat. He got in his costume. We got popcorn, M&Ms, and it was on Father's Day. And that day is always a little bit hard for me just because just the feelings like, you know, that Isaiah doesn't have a dad. And so we, we were going to do something fun, just the two of us that night. And we start to put the movie on and Isaiah did this all on his own, but he noticed right off the bat that um, Spider-Man just lived with his, his aunt, just with his mom. I, she was a single mom. And Isaiah looked at me and he was like, and at the time he was only four. And he was like, is Spider-Man adopted? And I said, and I said, yes, he is. He lives with his aunt. He's adopted and he doesn't have a daddy. And I was like, no, he doesn't have a daddy. He goes like, oh, I'm just like Spider-Man. I'm like, you are just like Spider-Man. So it was really cute. Again, I cried for about, I went in my room bald, but, um, so Spider-Man's very special to our hearts over here. I um, love that. But I think just kind of dealing with those conversations as they pop up uh, has been, you know, something that obviously that's adoption, you know, things that, you know, that not all parents have to go through and, and learning what they feel comfortable with telling. You don't want to tell them too much, but you don't ever want to lie to them. And um, I just hope that he grows up with a healthy balance of 
knowing where he comes from and feeling like I've given him all those answers and not feeling that I've tricked him or I don't know, just, I don't want him ever to feel like the rug's being pulled out from underneath him of, of his story. So that's just something that I feel like, you know, we have to walk through. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so healthy. You know, it's common practice today and historically it was not telling them and adults finding out. So it's, it's so healthy. So that's really cool to hear. What is one of your passions since these days have started for you? What is something that has really stood out to you? You've mentioned single mom and motherhood being something really important to you. What's one of your passions in that area to share with other moms? I think obviously one of my biggest passions and it has since before Isaiah and, and even what I do now from the daycare and I work with kids, obviously it's kids. That's, that's my, my biggest passion, but um, never in, in all those years, I had 10 years of being a, a child. Our home daycare wasn't like the normal home daycare. We like, it was family. And I really felt like I knew what I was doing, raising those kids. And I really honestly still believe looking back, I, I really did. And I did the best I could, but there's something about having your own child that the stresses, the worries of like what their, about their future, about how you're going to take care of them, how you're going to provide for them, how you love them, what the mistakes you made today, are you going to end up, are they going to end up in therapy in 20 years because of, you know, the meltdown that we all had today, just something about being a parent is completely different than taking care of other people's children. And obviously that's such a duh, everyone who's a parent knows that, but um, that's something that I really, it's eye-opening. And another thing that's just super eye-opening is just how hard it is to be a single mom. Um, I can't imagine, I have a really good family that, you know, like lives down the street. Um, I have a support system and I have really good friends and I have a really good, uh, work environment that, you know, that supports me. Um, but there's still, I can't, there's still people out there that, that live far away from their single parents that live far away from any family or don't have good trustworthy friends or don't have an understanding boss and don't have the resources that, um, that they need to take care of their kids. And that's just something that is definitely on my heart. And luckily I get to work at the Hope Center. We pass out food every week and we have big dreams of doing all kinds of things, um, especially towards for single parents. So that's something in the future, I hope that we can explore and, and, and help more. But, um, but I know things are tough, but I think my big passion is that you can do it. You know, there's ways to find that family, that community, there's resources out there to help you. Um, and since coming in this journey, I, I, through Instagram, actually, there's a lot of other single foster parents out there. Um, and we have a group actually in DFW area. And we, there's times we all go to Chick-fil-A together. There's other moms out there and dads even that are doing this on their own and doing it well. And so I guess that is just one of my, my passions too, is just like trying to be inspiration that you can, if the, you are in your thirties and for whatever reason you haven't settled down, or maybe you don't ever want to settle down, but you want a child that you can do that. It's, it's definitely possible. Yeah, that's really great. Let's do some myth busting for a minute. So one of the myths are, well, you can't adopt a child if you're single because it's, it's got to be two parents. And, and I'll say that, you know, obviously the ideal, they did not get a mom and dad at the beginning. So yes, as an agency, we want little boys and girls to get a mom and a dad. It doesn't mean that we don't want a a mom who is capable and able and wants to, to adopt a child. It's not like we're saying, no, you can't ever do that. It's saying this is the ideal, but here's an opportunity. So obviously that's a myth and I want to bust it. Yes. A a definite myth. 
Um, and the first time around, I didn't know too many other single foster parents. I think when, um, after Isaiah was adopted and then I, I kind of, I closed my home, I think about two years after he was adopted from doing respite and took a break, um, and just kind of focus on Isaiah through all those toddler years. But, um, I recently reopened again in May, just, just for respite only. And, uh, I have met so many other foster moms in my, I mean, maybe they didn't get their child, their child as fast or gotten foster care because of what happened to them, but they're in this as a single parent to help take care of other people's kids and their hearts. Um, and what should be is to reunite these babies with their biological families. But there is that chance that that doesn't work out and that's not the best interest for the kids and they have stepped up and I know several that have adopted on their own and several that are still in this process of in, and have these kids so that's a definite uh, myth it or at least in Texas it is. So, I mean, definitely. So one of the things that I am very passionate about for what you do, and my sister is also a single foster mom about to adopt. One of the things that I keep thinking about what she does is she takes in little girls. Some of these girls have walked through some very difficult times with the man in that household. And when they come into her home and they find out that there isn't an adult man living there, there's a relief that comes over them. And there's a necessity for single parents to say, you know what, I'll be a foster parent. And I want to thank you so much for doing it. It means so much to the parents you help, obviously, but also just the courage to stand out and be in front of everyone. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, community, let's talk about community real quick. How can you do this without community? I have no idea. Even, even as a married foster parent previously, I had to have community. People came over and helped us. My parents moved to help us. So there was so much that went into that. How can people gather community around them if they want to be a foster parent? I would say definitely start with, um, obviously, you have your, your main things. You have your family that could be there or could not be there. And hopefully they're around and they're supporting you hundred percent and they're, and have them right. When you start doing the paperwork, have them start doing the paperwork to be your respite, to be your babysitters, all that fun stuff. But um, I would say, if you don't have anything, go look at your local church, um, go get involved. That's the way, the way I always kind of, I say weasel my way in like to, to get really connected community is, um, is serving. So my passion's a kid. So that's how I got connected. Um, before I started working for Cross Numbers, I was a serve team for Cross Numbers. And I wanted to serve the kids. And that's how I built, if you love on other people's kids, that's how I built these, these friendships that I still have to this day. Um, some of my best friends uh, now are actually, I watched their kids in the children's ministry area. Um, I, I served as their leaders back then. So that's a good way to step up and in, in just in general in life to be, have good, healthy friends is, is go through your church and definitely serving in your church. Um, I would start there. And then obviously there's lots of great resources on on your social media platforms, on Facebook, um, you know, as, as right now in the world that we live in, sometimes social media is just like, oh, but there is great uh, groups of support groups on there. I mean, you can click, you can pretty much find anything that down to I'm a single foster mom support group. They have it. They have support groups for pretty much anything and everything. Um, and some are, are, you know, across the whole country and some are just in your local area. So I definitely would start there too, but church, family, find some um, resources on your social media. Those are definitely ways, I think, to kind of build up that community and your neighborhood. Um, I've been really surprised about my neighborhood. Again, that's one of those things too, you know, everyone's might be arguing over whose pet got out today, but um, something about like one time I had a respite 
that uh, the caseworker was coming to pick up, but we didn't have a car seat for that child to go. And I just kind of hopped on, like, I would not think Elmine asked someone for their car seat, but I just jumped on my Facebook neighborhood page and so many people were willing to um, have extra car seats, give it up, let you borrow their child's car seat, go to the store to buy a car seat when they found out it was for a foster child. There's lots of people that just want to help. And it may not be in their gifting to, um, to be an actual foster parent home or to provide respite, but man, they might, they might love their passion is cooking and they might love to whip up a meal for you for one night, or they might love to babysit for a couple hours or, Hey, when you get a placement at 10 o'clock at night and you can't go to the store, they can run to the grocery target and go buy some new pajamas or whatever it might be. So just look, look for what people that you're already in your life. Cause you'll be surprised on how many people want to step up and help. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of honestly shocking. Sometimes I'm like still disbelief and I shouldn't feel disbelief. I've seen this happen almost six years now, but still every time it just kind of gets me in the heart of just how much people are willing to, to help. Isaiah is actually um, for his birthday, his birthday is right after Christmas. Obviously we talked about that January and this year um, he gets, you know, he gets stuff for Christmas and we have a lot of toys and we've been talking about it. And he really loves if we call him our foster friends, um, he really loves them a lot. And we talked about doing something kind for them. So he's do, actually doing a, a pajama drive for his birthday. So instead of gifts, we're just doing a drive-by parade birthday, but we're going to take in pajamas for kids in foster care. And just by making his birthday invitations, I, we already have people that have donated money to go shopping for pajamas. People, I mean, his birthday's not even here yet. I just sent the invitation out this last week and we already have two or three pajamas being sent to us. People are making their own Facebook page and it's actually become like an actual pajama drive now. Like it kind of blew up, but people just, they want to find ways to help and to support people that are doing foster care. So I just think there's definitely ways out there. You just got to look for them. Yeah. Those are great advice for people to do. So uh, what's the one thing you have to get over? Uh, could it be a little bit of pride that we have to get over asking people to be a part of our our life basically. Yes. Um, and one thing somebody told me a while back and, uh, this actually, it goes to like serving in churches, but it, it really applies to anything is don't take away other people's opportunity to bless someone. And that changed my way of thinking about the big ask or asking for people. We're not asking them to do us a favor. We're asking for them to step up and use their passions and, and, use their gifts that God gave them to bless other people. And that gives them hope. It gives, I mean, it's like us, we love to, you know how it is. You love to give people gifts or you love to, to be able to help someone that makes you feel good. So by taking that away, not asking people, it's not giving them opportunities to do that. Yeah. That's really good. A lot of people need to hear that. <laughs> that's really good. Well, um, I like ending with this question. Is there anything that you have left unsaid that you'd like to share? Hmm. Man, I just feel so grateful. I feel like at times I don't deserve, you know, Isaiah that, you know, a lot of people just recently we had our adoption anniversary and people are like, oh, you're so blessed. You're so lucky. And I'm like, it's not, it's not that. I mean, or he's so blessed. He's so lucky. I'm like, no, I'm the blessed one. You know, I tell Isaiah all the time. He's my best. Yes. So I guess just, you know, that's, I'm just, I just feel like just an honor to, to be in the position I am. And if, um, this helps anyone listening that's thinking about becoming a foster parent or a foster mom, especially a single foster mom. I hope that, you know, this helped. Thank you so very much. Thanks for being on today. No problem. Thank you so much for having me.
Thank you for joining us. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through our email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information, check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home.